Acts chapter 13, 13 through 41. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at the actions of, and the missionary journeys of Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, Lord, we see just truly how, how grateful you were, or how, how wonderful you were towards them, the grace that, that was given to them to be able to preach your word to, to different ones, those that received and those that did not. Lord, you, you gave them power, and it's just a beautiful thing to, to look at these scriptures and to, to ponder them. And so I ask, Lord God, that you just empty me of myself, Lord, that, that you would be able to receive glory and honor today through your word. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 13, 13 through 41, last time we looked in the book of Acts, we saw that uh, Paul was on the, and I had it on the screen, but I don't have it up there this morning, that Paul was on the island of Cyprus. And on one side of the island, there were synagogues. On the other side of the island, there was great temples. And on the, in those temples, they worshiped the goddess Aphrodite. Uh, as we move on, we go into Perga and then in Pamphylia and Poseidon and Antioch and there's all sorts of different gods and goddesses that they worship there and I, I don't feel that we need to get into those because there is but one God and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we, we don't need to go over all of those different ones, that Greek mythology that's so prevalent in that area and still is today and people, people uh, still believe some of that today and it's just kind of crazy to think about but we know that Paul and Barnabas and those that were traveling with them encountered this stuff and they had to then come back with an answer from God's word and, and try to uh, gain those that they were speaking to. So in verse 13, we see them moving from the island of Cyprus. They leave Paphos and they go north. And they go north and they land on a place and it's going to be right here in verses 13 and 14. Listen to what it says. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, that was where Aphrodite was, that temple, to Perga and Pamphylia. Now who was there in, in Paphos before we leave there really quick? Who was there? Sergius Paulus, remember him? He believed the Lord, he believed in the word of God that was preached by Paul was saved. He was very instrumental on this island as he was the governor. And so we see that the Lord worked there on that island. Also on that island, we're going to see later in Scripture where John Mark and Barnabas are going to come to. Because see, people were there and so they had to go back and check on them. But after Barnabas and Paul split, this is where Barnabas and Mark will come back to and go through. Paul doesn't come back. So they leave the island of Cyprus, and in verse 13 it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, which was about five miles from the coast, and north, straight north of them, 
And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. We will talk about that later. But what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the beauty and the brilliance of the Word of God. The beauty and the brilliance of the Word of God and the the effect that it has on the soul that hears and that receives. God's Word will do its work. Amen? It's true. God's Word will do its work. In terms of preaching, it doesn't really get any better than, than this. We see Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. You see Him preaching to the two men as they walked and they talked on the road to Emmaus. You see Him preaching all the way through the Gospels. Uh, here with, with Peter in Acts chapter 2, you see great preaching and, it, it, and it's just wonderful preaching. Here in chapter 13, you see it with the Apostle Paul. It, it just truly doesn't, If as a minister... You just you read this and you stand in awe of how it is laid out, what's taking place, where he goes from, what he skips, what he doesn't skip, and what he puts in there. All, of course, inspired by the Spirit. Both Peter and Paul, both of them, they run the same direction, they have the same content. And then these texts here, in this one and in Acts 2, which were pretty big moments in the spreading of the gospel. It's the same content, the exact same. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. It's the God of David, the son of Jesse. David is mentioned, the resurrection is mentioned. All of these key components to the gospel are mentioned, Acts 2, Acts 13, in these different sermons that are preached. They are brought to the people with vehemency. Paul, Peter, they stand and they boldly proclaim. They wave their hand to get the attention of the people. And as they quiet everybody down, They stand boldly, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gifted by the Holy Spirit, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, given the words to say by the Holy Spirit. And they preach literally God's written word that will be God's written word. And so there's power in that. And they admonish their listeners... To listen, to learn, and to respond accordingly. To listen, learn, respond accordingly. Today it seems that people will listen and that they will learn. They will listen and they will learn. But have trouble responding or practicing what they have just learned. They want to learn, they want to hear, they want to know. I had a man one time said, why don't you tell me about that parable about the money? He was a businessman. He wanted to know about it. Just for his curiosity. It wasn't anything spiritual. He wanted to learn what it meant because he was a businessman. Other than that, it had no effect on him. People are, are ready to listen and ready to learn, but... But when it comes to responding or practicing what they've just learned, 
That's an altogether different story. Ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You see it in people all the time. You see it in, in those that their career is to go to school. And I'm not, I'm not talking bad about people that go to school. Don't get me wrong. But they go from one major to another to another. And I think more than anything, it's just their shuck responsibility they don't, so they don't have to work. But nevertheless, they go to school and they make a career out of it. Always learning, always receiving, always taking in. But they're never satisfied. Ever. They never come to the knowledge of the truth. This behavior is practiced in our text in 13 through 41, but it's also practiced in our life today. People hear the Word of God. They listen to the Word of God. They can even learn the Word of God. But for whatever reason, it doesn't bring them any closer to the knowledge of the truth of God. They don't have a heart that can receive. So we see this behavior in our text and we see it in our society. We see it in the church. We see it all over the place. 13 through 41 is, is a prime example of that. They read the law. They read the prophets. But are no more enlightened than they was when they went in. These are people that knew the law, people that knew the prophets. They knew the word of God, but they were in darkness. Church people. People that attend, people that listen and people that hear, but people that don't understand. And I praise God that the Lord sent Paul where he did. I praise God that the Lord sent these missionaries out Think about it. Without missionaries, where would you be? Without missionaries, where would you be? Without the preaching of the Word of God through missionaries, where would you be? So we see Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. We see these men that go out and they preach the Word of God. But we see this in this text, this prime example of those that listen, those that read, those that that understand what it's saying, but doesn't, they don't have a heart understanding of it. Listen to what it says in the text. Verse 14, But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. Doesn't mention a whole lot there in Perga that they, that they did. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. This is the Jews' Saturday. This is Saturday, the Sabbath, okay? And on the Sabbath, they went into the synagogue and sat down. That is Saturday. Paul and his men that were with him, they decided to go where the Jews were because they have a relationship with Jewish people because they were Jews, right? And so they know the law. They know all the, the prophets. They know these scriptures like the back of their hand. Paul was a genius. And so if there's anybody that could relate to the Jewish people, it was the Apostle Paul because he knew exactly where to start from. Also, he was inspired by the Spirit. 
Verse 15, listen to what it says. After they sat down, after they sat down, they get there and this is what it says in verse 15. After reading from the law and the prophets, what is the law? Torah. The first five books of the Bible, right? Anybody there with me? Come on. The law and the prophets. They read from the law and the prophets, and this was tradition, this was customary for the Jewish people to do in the synagogues. How fun would it be if I just stood up here, you may not like me now, that's fine, but how fun would it be if I just stood up here and went to the back of the Bible and said, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read the Ten Commandments, and that's it. That's it. Well, that would leave you without hope. Because if you go back and you read the law, it shows you that you are truly guilty. Then if you were to read the prophets, that would show you the same. But it would also show you a a bigger picture, which they didn't understand. And so here in this text, they read the law, they read the prophets. And when they're done, after the service... The rulers of the synagogue in verse 15 sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. You don't have to worry about a preacher having words if you ask him to preach. Just beware of that. Any church I've been in when I've been a pastor, they've asked me to preach. I just stood up and preached. I opened the Word of God and and the Lord just blessed me to preach. And so here this Paul is and and Barnabas and they're there and they say, do y'all have any words of encouragement? Any words at all? And Paul's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So he stands up and he's fixing to lay it to them. I mean, he's fixing to preach and this is a, a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And before I get there, I want you to see something about this they read the law and they read the prophets and they were none the wiser they read the law and they read the prophets and they were not moved they were not changed and in the law and in the prophets both in the law and in the prophets both Jesus Christ is there just as I told you before you may begin anywhere in the Bible and preach Jesus You may begin at the first chapter of Genesis or at the last chapter of Malachi, at the first of Matthew or at the last of Revelation, and still preach Jesus. For he is the sum and substance of the whole Scripture. The Jewish people did not understand this. They were looking for somebody else. Jesus had come and he had gone, and they still were none the wiser. They didn't believe him. Through the law and through the prophets, it was mentioned... Multiple times. Luke chapter 24. Just bear with me as I read this. This is when they're sitting by the fire before Christ leaves and before he ascends. He's eating with his disciples. And listen to what he says in verse 44 of 24. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So Jesus says there to his disciples that in the law, in the prophet, and even in the Psalms, they speak of me. Matthew 5 and 17, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets, he says, but I have come to fulfill them. I've not come to abolish them, I've not come to destroy them, but I have come to fulfill them. Not one jot or one, one writing in that law will go away. I will fulfill them all. Jesus speaks over and over and over that it is written of him in the law and in the prophets. Hebrews 10, 1 through 10 speaks of Christ as the better sacrifice. As the better sacrifice. And it is written in the volume of the book. The whole book, the old covenant, is all written about Christ. Galatians 3 and 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it was to show and to lead to something better and something more pure, a better and a new covenant under Jesus Christ. Therefore, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The old points are new in the better covenant and it's fulfilled by Christ. So let's read on and listen to what it says. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up. So he stood up and motioned with his hand. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Amongst the Jewish people, there were also proselytes. Jewish converts that were Gentiles. And so he's speaking to the whole group. He's speaking to the house of Israel... Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. What does Paul tell him to do? Listen. And then he goes in to his message. And it's brilliantly preached. Listen to what it says. The God of this people Israel... Chose our fathers. What did the God of Israel do? First, before he did anything else, he chose the fathers, right? They didn't do anything to deserve that choosing. They didn't do anything to merit that. God looked down on Abraham. And he chose him. And he said, come away from your people. Leave your land and I will show you a place that you will go. And I will make of you a great nation. From Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And then to the twelve tribes. All the, all the different ones that came from him. And they're, they're represented here in this one synagogue. There's people from the Jewish lineage, from Israel, that is all right here. 
The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I love that. He long suffered with them. He he forbeared with them, right? Aren't you glad that the Lord is someone who can forbear with you? I am. Because he would have done away with me a long time ago. But he forbears and he puts up with my shenanigans. Any of y'all got some shenanigans? Crystal raised her hand and waved it. (laughs) We got shenanigans. We got sin that comes out and that we should be put away for. But the Lord has put up with that. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king. God wasn't good enough for them. They wanted someone to worship, someone that they could lay eyes on, someone that was head and shoulders above the rest. And they got that someone, and his name was Saul, and he was from Kish, son of Kish. A man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. That was verse 21, 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So when we get into this speaking about David, it's going to be showing us Christ Jesus, what is to come. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And this is one thing I love about our Lord. His promises don't change. They are yes and they are amen and they will be for all eternity. From old, he promised that Jesus would come and that it would come from this lineage. And I've not got time to go over that whole lineage. But he did come through that lineage. He promised it and it happened. They're yes and amen. And it's also, it's, it's, it's wrote down in scripture. Isaiah 7 and 14, Isaiah 8 and 10, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. That this would happen and it did come to pass. He promised it and it happened. Verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? Am I not he? No, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. John speaks of Christ. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. So he speaks to the Jews, also to the proselyte Jews. Those who fear God and to the family of Abraham, to us, has been sent the message of this salvation. He says, we are partakers of it first. We are Jews, and that's where it went to first. We are partakers of it first. We're going to see later where it's going to go to the Gentiles, because they didn't want to have anything to do with it. 
27, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, like I said before, they read the prophets but don't understand them. They read the law but don't understand it. It all points to Christ Jesus. They didn't recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. Fulfilled them. They actually fulfilled the prophets by condemning him to death. They didn't even know they were doing it. They fulfilled the prophets by condemning him to death. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, what was written of him? Well, you, you see it in, in Psalms 22. That's just one example. I read to you before we started this morning of a, several other examples in the book of Isaiah. Jesus said in Psalms and in the law and in the prophets. Psalms 22, it's in great detail the crucifixion of Christ. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And our Lord was dead. They slaughtered him. He was crushed for our iniquity, our sin. This substitutionary offering was perfect. And it had to be to pardon you and to pardon me. Without the substitutionary offering, it could never be. It had to be spotless and blemish-free. It had to be perfect. He had to fully fulfill the prophets. And he did. They killed him. Nailed him to a tree and killed him. Laid him in a tomb that wasn't his own. Only two people was there to bury him. Talk about a big funeral. There was only two at his. Only two people showed up to bury our Lord. Only two people came to beg of his body and get him off the cross. Only two. They put him in the ground. Rolled the stone over in front of him. And laid him to rest. Verse 30. <laughs> but God raised him from the dead. See, the common theme that Peter has and the common theme that Paul has is the common thing that Jesus did for us and that was raised from the dead. Without it... We could not be justified. Without it, there would admit that there would have been something wrong with the sacrifice. But see, the sacrifice was perfect. It was a much better sacrifice than that of bulls and that of goats found in the Old Testament. It was a sacrifice that was perfect and blemish-free and spotless, and His name was Jesus Christ. 
And so because he was spotless, because his work was accomplished at the cross, and because he was perfect, God raised him from the dead because he was pleased with the offering. He was pleased with the sacrifice. And only then, and only then are we able, through that, by that, are we able to come then to the Father. See, the work that Jesus done for us at the cross, Paul is preaching, Peter preaches, all of these guys preach this. Jesus did this so that we could be with the Father. Jesus did this so we could come before the Lord and stand justified, stand just as Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Just as I read to you in Luke 24, Jesus said that this, they would do this and that they would bring good news. 32, listen to what it says, and we bring you the good news. There's no bad news here. There is no bad news. It is good news that can only come from a good God. Good news. That what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Psalms 2. Verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He's not talking about David anymore, he's talking about Jesus. He raised him to the dead, from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That's the new covenant and salvation only in Christ Jesus. And that's what Hebrews 10, 1 through 10 is speaking about. But that Old Testament prophecy is Isaiah 55 and 3. It's, there's, the word of God is all over this sermon. You can't get away from it. You can't go around it. Paul is preaching, and, I, and it's like I can see him now. As little as he was. This man had their attention. Because it says that the next time that they gathered on the next Sabbath, that the whole city came out. He preached, and when he preached, he got their attention. And he caused an uproar, just like it was when Jesus was born. Just like the good news of Jesus Christ always does, it causes an uproar anywhere it's preached. Because it's unsettling with people and life-giving to others. Therefore, he says in another Psalm 35, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Christ Jesus did not decay because he was perfect. Psalms 16. Verse 36, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. Why? Because he was a mortal man. Jesus Christ was a man, but he was also God. And he was the perfect sacrifice which saw no corruption. 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man... 
Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. I'm going to stop on 38 for just a second. Let me read to you this again. Because he brings this out to the Jewish people and he makes it very clear to them. They had been reading the law. They had been reading the prophets. And he says, let me give you the answer to what you're looking for. Paul is going to plug this key right in. And he's going to say, let me show you what you are missing. And that's the case with all of us. People go and they are always looking for something to fulfill, to fill the void, to satisfy the longing. And it's never fulfilled. Paul stands up here and he says, the law and the prophets, this is who fulfills them. Listen to what it says, 38. Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man, who? Jesus. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Paul here proclaims and heralds the truth of our justification. The prettiest doctrine that there is. For those that know that they are sinners and for those that understand what sin is and to understand what they are when they're taken away from you. There's not a sweeter, sweeter song. There isn't. There is not a sweeter song. Justification. This is what Paul is preaching. That through this man, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is the sweetest words that man can hear. And what is that? That our sins are forgiven. That they are forgiven past, present, and future. What else is sweet to hear? That we have come out from the judgment of God. That we are no longer underneath the impending judgment of a good God. Of a jealous God. Of a strong and mighty God. The whole church in here, if you're a Christian, should be shouting. Because you're not under His thumb anymore. You're not being held over the pit anymore. No, in fact, He's got you in His hand. He is holding you up. And the reason that you, that you don't fall, the reason why you are who you are is because He is holding you. Our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. We've come out from underneath the weight of the law. The weight of the law. Tick was... Where is Tick? Tick was um, a little boy when I was preaching at Nebo. And I had a backpack. And I told Tick, I said, Tick, come up, come, come up here. I said, I want you to feel what it's like to have the burden of the weight of the law on your back. And I put this big military backpack on his back, and it was gigantic. It went down to his, to his knees. It's huge. And then I took every one of my encyclopedias, which my kids don't even know what that is now. 
They don't understand what a cyclopedia is. I mean, I, I played with them as a kid. But anyways, I, I put them all in that backpack. And I had Tick stand right here in front of the old church. He was a boy. How old was he, Tick? Maybe 11. 11. He stood right there. Little bitty feller. That big backpack began to weigh on him. And the longer I preached, he began to go down like this. And his mama's eyes were getting this big around because she was worried to death that her little baby was going to get hurt. And the longer I preached, the lower he got. And the lower he got. And the lower he got. Until he was on the floor. What's the point? The point of the weight of the law is something that you cannot bear. That's why Jesus came. Jesus has redeemed us and brought us out from underneath the weight of that law. He has brought us out from underneath and, and taken away the guilt of that law that's brought to our hearts. The shame in everything that it relates to, He has taken that away. And I want you to listen to this. He's taken all of that. The guilt of it all, the burden of it all, standing, we stand before the Father redeemed from it all. You should have seen Tick when I took it, that backpack off his back. He stood up straight. You know why? Because he didn't have no weight. He could stand then. And this is precisely what happens when Jesus intervenes on our behalf. That substitutionary offering, when we trust in that, then we are able to stand up straight because He has fulfilled the law on our behalf. We stand before the Father redeemed from it all, forgiven and freed by faith in the person of Christ Jesus. It says forgiveness of sins. We sing the song, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Right? But yet there's so many that are in bondage to that sin. See, what Paul was doing when he preaches here, he is showing them that sin. He is showing them that they cannot fulfill that law. They cannot fulfill what the prophets were speaking of. But what all of that was pointing to was the one that could fulfill it, Jesus Christ. And he says, he comes to offer forgiveness of sins. That through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. All that is against us, all that has been laid to our charge, Jesus took upon himself. And in exchange imputed righteousness on our behalf. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to obtain it. He died for us. He took our sins away from us. And He imputed righteousness unto us by a look of faith unto Him. Verse 39, listen to what it says. And by Him, 
And by him, Jesus, and by him, only him, there's nobody else. There's not a bunch of roads that lead to heaven. There's only one, and it's Christ. And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes, everyone who believes. In John 3, 16, you see the whosoever. Everyone that believes, it's the same thing. Whosoever believes, everyone that believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Do we see that tongues frees us from the law? That's one of the biggest heresies, one of the biggest lies that's ever hit the church. That speaking in some unknown language would free you from bondage, and it does not do it. He doesn't say that tongues will. He doesn't say it's that good works will. He doesn't say anything about any of that. This is what Paul, the apostle, says. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. Free at last. Free at last. Good God Almighty, I'm free at last. From the prison bars, we've flown. They've been opened up. We can't be contained anymore. There's been one that's died in our place and has set us free. He has pardoned us. He has justified us. He has made us clean before the Father, and He has set us free. You can't understand what it means to be set free until you're bound. You can't understand what it means to be set free and let go until you are chained. The burden of the law are those chains that show us we are guilty. And we have been freed by Christ from that to where we can stand up straight. Where we can come before the Father and experience all that the Lord has to offer. I'm not done. I'm still preaching. Y'all pay attention. Forgiveness of sins and by Him everyone who believes is freed from everything. Do you see that? From everything. From which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So Paul here inserts the most valuable piece. Your reading of the law, your reading of the prophets, but that won't free you. Only the one that fulfills both of them can do that. And his name is Christ. And then he gives them a start warning. Listen to what it says in verse 40. Beware. This is the end of his message. The end of his message, he says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. At the end of his message, after he tells us the truth, after he inserts the piece of the puzzle that we so desperately need, that people have longed for and looked for for years, this fountain of youth that nobody seems to find, Paul has the answer, Paul has the key. 
And his name is Jesus. And right here, he says this in 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. And what is that? It's right here that they won't believe. Listen to what it says. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. This is Habakkuk 1 and 5. See, he's still going to the prophets. He's still going to the law. Habakkuk 1 and 5, and this is what he says in that, in that passage, 41. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. He said, beware. There's going to be people that's going to listen to the message and that they're not going to believe it. Though it's freely given, it's already been paid for. It's to be trusted by faith. But there will be those that will not believe it. How scary is that? To understand that their sin that they will be held accountable to one day. On the day of judgment, they will stand before the mighty God and they will give an account for everything that they've done. And they will be weighed in the balance and when they come up wanting, and when Jesus is not on their scale, they will be cast in an eternal lake of fire. This is a scary, scary thought. But we have in God's Word the answer, don't we? We have the way. And with such great an offer as they had with Peter, as they did here with Paul, folks still won't listen. Why? Let me tell you why. Because it strips you of everything that you are. Everything. It strips you down to who you truly are. And people are not willing to submit. They're not willing to surrender. They're not willing to trust. Because if they do those things, then all of the power and all of the control is out of their hands. And that is precisely where the Lord wants us at. He wants us broken. And He wants us on our face before Him. That we may see that we can't do it. Matthew chapter 4 and 17. When Jesus began to preach... It's recorded in Scripture before He gives His Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, 6, and 7. In 4 and 17, He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. Repent. To turn. From everything you are, from everything you want to be, from everything that you are. Repent. Turn from that and follow after Him. Because everything's at stake. Everything. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I cannot stress to you the seriousness of this text. 
You may begin anywhere in the Bible and preach Jesus. You may begin in the first chapter of Genesis or at the last chapter of Malachi. You may begin in the book of Matthew in the first chapter. You may go to the last chapter of Revelation. You may preach Jesus in all of those books and all of those verses. For he is the sum and substance of the whole of Scripture. It's what it's about. If I've jerked your chain this morning, I pray to God that you would get on your knees and repent. If you're not living the way that you should be living, I pray that you would repent and turn from that. If you're a child of God and you know that you're just not living right, I pray that you would repent and turn. That goes for you and that goes for me. If you've not noticed, the world is absolutely going to hell in a handbasket right now. Quite literally, people are going to hell every day. It's so obvious and so blatantly evil that we cannot turn the blind to it anymore. Sin is sin and it must be called what it is. It's missing the mark and breaking the rules and the laws of the Almighty God that He has established in the heavens. We've all broken them. But we all don't have a Savior. I do. His name is Jesus. And you can have Him today. Let's pray.